If you are willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ, there will be some things that will fall out of your life and there will be other things that will come into your life and you don't need some legalist to argue you into a certain lifestyle because God will teach you with the principles found here in the Word. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church, of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 14 of our study in Romans and have been looking at what we might call gray areas of the Bible. Behaviors the Bible does not specifically address, but which some Christians might feel comfortable exercising while others might consider sinful. We've already seen that as Christians, we're called to be considerate of the spiritual maturity of others and that ultimately our goal should be to please Jesus Christ. But as we delve a little further into our chapter today, Dr. Brogy will give a little more insight into how we as Christians ought to be guarding our behavior. One of my joys as a pastor is to guide God's people through God's Word and to explain the implications that it has. It's always an honor and a privilege to help serve God's people by clarifying a point of doctrine or interpreting very carefully a passage of Scripture that might be difficult, or answering questions that people have. But honestly, I cannot remember a time when a Christian came to me and said, is it wrong to commit adultery? Is it wrong to murder? Is it wrong to steal? Now, I've had unbelievers tell me that drunkenness and fornication and adultery is just fine as long as you don't hurt anyone. But I can't remember a time when a Christian came and asked me such questions. Because those issues are self-evident. We don't have to ask, is homosexuality a sin? God has spoken. He's not stuttered. Unless you want to deny the truthfulness of Scripture, God's Word is plain on such issues. But there's a class of questions that fall into a different category. On one end of the spectrum, there are those things that are absolutely right. On the other end of the spectrum are those things that are absolutely wrong. But in between... There are some issues that sometimes Christians call gray areas that God does not specifically address. What kind of entertainment is acceptable? What kind of movie can I watch? What kind of music can I listen to? What can I or can I not do on a Sunday? Some Christians would say, well, I know obviously it's a sin to get drunk, but is it okay to have a glass of wine or to drink a beer? Can I have an occasional cigar? Or should I refrain from it altogether? Certainly, I know, Pastor, some dancing is lewd and seductive, but can I join a shag club? Well, since the Bible doesn't address these issues, some Christians would say, the Bible doesn't say you're totally free in Christ. Do whatever you please. Now, while it is true that that it does not give us a specific list on every possible decision that you will make in life, it does give us principles to discern how to live out the different kinds of decisions that we will make, principles that should govern our behavior. And when we understand the principles, those areas that are gray become very clear as to what God would have us to do. And so our passage this morning that we began studying last time, we'll continue today, we'll finish it next time. Today's, like last week, is still introductory. We get into the nuts and bolts in the second half of the chapter, but what we're covering today is essential and foundational if we're going to rightly apply the entire truths that are found here. 
And rather than just give people a list of do's and don'ts, God gives us a set of principles. We'll look at two this time and then four next time. But let's begin reading this morning where we left off in Romans chapter 14 and in verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I had just graduated from high school and I remember on a hot, hazy day in August being captured by the evening news. It was in August of 1974, and had you ridden the subway in the city of New York that day and gotten off at the stop called the World Trade Centers, you would have been shocked. At the time, those two buildings stood at 1,350 feet, 110 stories, a quarter of a mile above the earth. They were exactly 131 feet apart, designed so that the wind drafts would not shake the buildings. And had you looked up on that August day, you would have seen a man with a wire stretched between the two buildings, a man by the name of Pierre Petit, who was typewrote walking across those two buildings. He dazzled thousands of people below. A police officer came to the roof and yelled at him, and he said, if you don't get off that wire, I'm coming out there to get you. (laughs) I don't think he was too concerned. Eventually, he was arrested and then released on bond, And when he was interviewed as to why he broke the law, he said this, and I quote, I belong to the sky. It is the moment of purest happiness for me, absolute freedom. At no other time am I more free. I breathe very slowly and enjoy immensely the miracle of balance. Up there on that rope, I was surrounded by complete peace. And when I dropped on one knee in the traditional salute of the tightrope walker, there at my feet was all of New York City. And I remember hearing the guy, and I thought, this guy's a nut. (laughs) But a few months later, I found Christ as my Savior, and as a brand new Christian, I read a book by Dr. Charles Ryrie called Balancing the Christian Life. And he reminded me that the Christian life is a life of balance. It's learning largely among commandments, principles on how to walk the tightrope between liberty and legalism. I remember as a young man, I was eight years old, and my dad brought me to the top of the Empire State Building, and we went out on the observation deck, and we looked down, and you always have that thought, oh, I wonder what it would be like to fall. Now, uh, no one wants that kind of freedom. But sometimes a person looks up at a wire like that, and I wonder what it would be like to walk across that wire. And of course, when we deal with balance in the Christian life, we can go to one of two extremes. Some of us retract into a shell of do's and don'ts, and we create lists for ourselves and for others, and we might call in some respects some of those do's and don'ts legalism. Not always, but some of them. Others, they don't wonder, I wonder what that's like. They say, I want to know what it's like. 
and they take their liberty in Christ and they turn it into license. And God wants us to avoid legalism, and He certainly wants us to avoid license. He wants us to walk this rope of balance in the Christian life. Now, there are some things in the Christian life that are not up for debate. It's always right to give thanks in all things. It's always right to show grace in our speech. It's always right to do everything in the church service and orderly and in a decent fashion. It's always wrong to forsake the assembling together of the brethren on the Lord's day. God is clear on that. It's always wrong to speak evil of one another. It's always wrong to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's always wrong to commit adultery, to fornicate, to get drunk, to kill, to murder. There are some things in which there are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. God has spoken and there's no debate. But as you study the Scripture, there are many issues that God has not spoken on. And God does not give us a rule book. Among other things, He gives us a guidebook. He gives us principles in which to discern some of these gray areas. For instance, there's no verse in the Bible that says, you shall not smoke pot. And as far as I know, they didn't uh, smoke pot in the first century. Maybe they chewed lizard tails and got high on that. I don't know what they did. But I do know, based on the principles of Scripture and my body being a temple of the Holy Spirit and some other commands in Scripture, that it's a sin to smoke pot. It's a sin to use drugs, with the rare exceptions as a pain killer in certain circumstances, as Proverbs underscores. I mean, think your way through this. There's no, uh, there's no command in Scripture that says, uh, you shall not do 110 miles an hour through a school zone. But the Scripture teaches, there's a police officer who said amen, uh, <laughs> But there's a scripture that says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a scripture that says that you shall not kill. And there is scripture says that says we are to submit to the governing authority, unless, of course, they ask us to do something contrary to God's authority. So I don't have to debate on that one. So many times there's a direct principle or command that can be applied to a given situation. All Christians know it's a sin to get drunk. But some would say, well, can I have a beer with my pizza? Can I have a glass of wine at dinner? And some will be quick to tell you that that's just fine, and if you think otherwise, then you're a legalist. Some Christians would say it's a sin for a woman to wear slacks. Some would say it's a sin for a Christian to participate in Halloween or even Christmas. So how do you know whether someone is right or wrong? Well, God gives us some principles in this chapter so that we can be discerning people. And let me just say parenthetically, if you want to get into a good old-fashioned red-hot discussion that will get two Christians madder at each other or sometimes even divided church, then just start talking about some of those things that you can and cannot do that are not addressed in Scripture. Well, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid legalism? How do we avoid license? How do we walk in balance in the Christian life? Let me bring us into the context because many of us were not here when I covered this last month. If you remember last time from verse 2, he says here in the start of the chapter, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he was weak, eats vegetables only. We saw then in the early church, some Christians were vegetarians and others ate meat with no problem. And I explained last time that some of the best meat that was available in the first century came from pagan meat markets. There were idol worship temples all across the land in the first century. And if you worshiped a false god, 
And if you were a pious worshiper, you wouldn't bring some lame animal. You'd bring your best. You'd bring it for sacrifice. And a portion of the animal was offered to the God. And the rest of the meat was sold there in pagans' meat market. And a lot of Christians who were saved out of that pagan background said, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I would never buy meat from such a place. In fact, I will only eat vegetables because I don't want to pollute myself with any meat that could have been offered to a false god. Then we saw, on the other hand, there were Christians who said, well, the Apostle Paul taught us that there's no such thing really as an idol. There's only one god. And there's nothing wrong with the meat. In fact, it's some of the best meat available at the best prices. It's cheap because it's just been offered to a false god and the rest is for sale and with no refrigeration, they had to sell it immediately. And I'll have extra money in my pocket to give to the work of the Lord and to support ministries and missionaries. And so Paul responds in verse 3. Notice, he said, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. In other words, you meat eaters who have this freedom are not to regard with contempt. You're not to despise. You're not to look down on those vegetarians who don't eat. Now, don't forget, the meat eaters were right. They were the strong. It was okay, actually, to have bought some of this meat. And there were other issues that we explored last time concerning clean and unclean meats. There were some things that were prohibitive under the Old Covenant that under the New Covenant, God declared all things clean because what defiles a man is not what simply enters in and then is eliminated, but what comes out of his heart. And so God distinguished his people under the Old Covenant with certain outside rituals, but under the New Covenant, God distinguishes us through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. We also learn on the other side of this issue, if you notice this verse, were those persons who are termed here as the one who does not eat. And that person, this vegetarian, was not to judge, he was not to condemn the one who does eat. And of course, that's the tendency of the weaker brother to condemn and write off as carnal or unspiritual or sometimes even as an unsaved person, someone who exercises a freedom. And the uh, tension that the strong believer experiences is his tendency would be to say to the vegetarian, you're so legalistic. What is your problem? Loosen up. There's freedom in Jesus. And the weaker brother would say, how can you call yourself a spirit-filled Christian and think that way? Maybe you're not even saved. Now today, we don't fight over clean and unclean meats but we have our own issues. We might fight over clean and unclean translations of the Bible. There's a handful of churches, even in our own community, that would say that the only good translation of the Bible is the 1611 King James Version. I love the King James, and I will often quote it, because sometimes when you go from the original language into the receptor language, there's not a single word, if you're doing a word-for-word correspondence, that will capture the full nuance. And the King James might capture one dimension of the word that the NAS or the ESV or HCSB or some other translation doesn't get. But since I don't preach and teach exclusively out of the King James, I've gotten the mail. Listen, they've mailed me sermons over the years that they've preached against me on this issue. And some of these people think if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it must be good enough for us. 
I recently, to my website, got a question from a pastor railing me on this. And my flesh wanted to say, man, you're just so narrow-minded. This is just an argument of ignorance. But instead, by the grace of God, I wrote him back because I recognize many of these people love Christ. And they believe the same gospel that I believe. And they adhere to the same doctrines that I adhere to. And I'm grateful that they are indeed attempting to win people to Christ. Nonetheless, as we're going to learn in the 15th chapter of Romans, God wants the weak to become strong. And in answering this man's question, I explained to him that there were many excellent English translations. Certainly, we would all agree that there are some translations that have been done in our tongue that are very poor. No one would debate whether the feminist Bible is a good translation where they've changed all the masculine pronouns to neuterize God. No one would debate that the New World translation done by the Jehovah's Witness is a poor translation where someone literally went in and altered the meaning of the text in order to deny the deity of Christ. Look, if you're an outright atheist and you knew Koine Greek, you would know that the translation that they've come up with is absolutely impossible. And there are many dear people who've been caught up in that cult who are either deceived or some who are deceiving. And even to my King James purists, I would say, you're not even using the 1611 translation. You're actually using what we call the Old King James, the 1769. It's the fifth revision of the King James with over 75,000 changes from the 1611. Not because God's Word changes, that is forever established in the heavens, but our language and the meaning of words change with time. And a good translation is to reflect that. But we're not to write someone off because of that. And Paul gives us the reason why here at the end of verse 3. Did you pick it up? For or because God has accepted him. And so we saw last time we are to guard our attitudes, but not only are we to guard our attitudes, we are to guard our actions. We're not to cause another brother to stumble, even though he may not have the liberty to do a certain thing. And we'll look further at that next time. And so wanting us to be able to discern based on the principles of Scripture, because we are not simply to live for ourselves, but for Christ, Paul is going to underscore two critical truths today. And by the way, if you have children in your home, or you have a ministry to your grandchildren, or Just people in general, especially teenagers, what you need to give them is not just a list of do's and don'ts. They need to see that your authority comes from the Word of God. They need to understand the principles by which you base that decision on. So we're going to underscore just two of them today, two reasons why we should guard our behavior. Reason number one, you should guard your behavior because of the Lordship of Christ. Because of the Lordship of Christ. Of Christ. Notice again verses 7 and 8. For one, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing he told the Corinthians. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, so you are to live to glorify God in your body. It's not up to you to say, who am I going to marry? 
It's not up to you to say, what am I going to do professionally in this life? It's not up to you to say, what am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Because you're not your own. These verses remind us here that we cannot say that it doesn't really matter what my fellow Christian or brother thinks about an issue because I'm not my own. Verse 7 plainly says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. I'm not to live for myself. I'm not to die for myself. Whether I live or I die, I am to do it all for the glory and the honor of the Lord. You might want to, in a parallel chapter where Paul addresses similar issues, put out next to verse 7, 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Put that in the margin of your Bible. Let me read it to you. There the apostles said, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, if you can drink a beer for the glory of God, then do it. If you can smoke a cigarette for the glory of God, then do it. Smoke it. I don't think you can. Now, don't take my word for it and come back next time and let's reason together from the Scripture. But you apply the question to any given situation that you may be in. Does this glorify God? And you will have an answer. And if you're living for Jesus Christ, and if you're under His Lordship, then you're not afraid to ask that question. That's the question you want to ask. He plainly says here in verse 8, For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He's underscoring that we are to live under the Lordship of Christ. Jesus Christ shed His precious blood, not so that you could serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. In fact, He emphatically says, look at verse 9, For to this end, the glory of God, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. By the way, did you see the references all the way beginning in verse 6 through verse 9 of the, the, the term Lord or God or Christ? I have it underlined 10 times in my Bible. Let me go through and emphasize it. You might want to underscore it there in your text. He observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. Not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself, or if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. This is another great text of Scripture affirming the deity of Christ because the term Lord God Christ is referring to one person because Jesus is God, He is Lord, He is Messiah. And so let me ask you, are you doing what you are doing for the Lord? That's the emphasis of the text. If He is Lord, if He is master over you today as a believer, then are your decisions and your convictions under His Lordship? Again in verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You see, the problem with many of us is that in the recesses of our heart, we've already made up our minds. No one is going to tell me whether I can have a glass of beer. No one is going to tell me whether I can smoke an occasional cigar. No one is going to tell me whether I can do such and such. 
And you're right, no one can. No one should, but God should. And if you have ears to hear, the question becomes, if he speaks clearly from his word, what does he say? But some of us have wax in our ears and we don't want to hear. Don't confuse me with the truth. Because we have our minds made up. And I'm convinced if you are willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ, there will be some things that will fall out of your life and there will be other things that will come into your life and you don't need some legalist to argue you into a certain lifestyle because God will teach you with the principles found here in the Word. So Paul's point is that whatever we do, if we are the Lord's, then we will live for the Lord. And listen, Would Jesus Christ be embarrassed by some of the things that you do? Listen, say whatever you want to say, eat whatever you want to drink, eat, drink whatever you want to drink, see whatever you want to see, do whatever you want as long as he's pleased. But if there's a sense on the inside that you're coming very close to that invisible boundary where he would not be pleased, Our goal as a believer is not to see how close we can get to sin, but how far away from sin we can be. And so the first principle that he underscores out of six in this chapter is that you should guard your behavior because of the Lordship of Christ. Now there's a second principle, and it's a very familiar one, but since God brings it up again, I'm going to bring it up again because God needs to remind us again. Guard your behavior because of the judgment seat of Christ. Guard your behavior because of the judgment seat of Christ. To some of you, this is an old principle. But sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. And we are so familiar with the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ, we've just kind of let it fade into oblivion. It has very little effect on us. And some of us are hearing it today for the very first time. Paul asks the weak questions here in verse 10 a question. Notice, but you, why do you judge your brother? And then he turns to the strong Christian, he asks, or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? He is asking both groups why it is that they are taking on the role of judge. Don't they realize that all judgment has been given to the Son? For he says here, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And to back it up, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, the 45th chapter, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. By the way, Paul applies this text to the Lord Jesus because he is God in his letter to the Philippians. So then, verse 12, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now let me further qualify and explain letting Scripture interpret Scripture on this whole doctrine of judgment. There is obviously a time for Christians to judge. The same one who said, judge not lest you be judged, also said in John chapter 7 and verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Ultimately, God is our judge and knows the intentions of our hearts. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't show discernment with our fellow brothers and sisters in love. To listen to this or any of the messages in the Romans series, use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also call and request Guarding Our Behavior Program ROM66 on CD or DVD. Our phone number is 877-787-7478. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. When we return tomorrow, we'll continue our look at guarding our behavior. Join us then as we search the scriptures.